after listening to that gospel. It would seem on the surface there's not much really for me to talk about this week. See, unlike most parables, this time the gospel writer leads off telling us what the story is all about. By having us assume the role of the widow and God the role of the judge, we are told of the need to be persistent with our prayer to God. So safe to say, the vast majority of churchgoers this weekend are hearing a homily about the need to pray always. And while prayer is important to us, that's not the homily you're going to be hearing today. The reason is because there's more. There is always more when it comes to the parables, which are stories that are meant to be drawn in parallel to your life and are designed so that their meanings are somewhat hidden. They often provide two lines of interpretation, an immediate message for the hearers addressed, in this case the disciples, but also a second and more remote application for subsequent hearers in later times, and that would be all of us. You see, this is really a story about relationship, justice, and faith. So let's revisit the two main characters again. Beginning with the widow, who is mentioned by Luke more than any of the other three gospel writers, and I'll tell you why later. Without a spouse, she has no protection or status in her society. Living in poverty and easily exploited, she's a victim of her own circumstance. While we have no idea what in particular has been done to her, she is persistent in her pursuit for justice. We hear that she is tireless in her desire for fairness. And for reasons not told, she holds on to a high degree of faith that the judge will come around and grant her a just decision. Judges in those days were mostly irresponsible and often unjust. They were more interested in lining their pockets with bribes than fostering justice. And this judge is no exception. Called dishonest, he readily admits that he does not fear God or anyone else. But after the relentless barrage by this widow, he concedes and yields a just decision for her case. And thus, we are given the summation of our need to be tireless and relentless with God in our prayer life. And for many reasons, it is something that Luke's first century audience needed to hear. But to open up the deeper meanings of this parable, we need to turn it upside down by assigning us the role of the judge and assigning God the part of the widow, so that we can see what relationship with God and with each other should look like. Let's begin with our relationship with God. When speaking about God, the very best we can do is compare God, who is unknowable, with something that we know. So we find ourselves often saying God is like this, or God is like that. So when it comes to how we see God relating to us, we often fall back on liking that, to the first and primary relationship in our lives, that which we have with our parents. By human nature, the parent-child relationships we grew up with were never perfect and hopefully ever-changing and improving. In our early years, and by necessity, we begin by building a relationship based on reward and punishment. It's very dualistic, right from wrong, hot from cold, do your homework, no, you can't have a new iPad, Yes, you can go out on a date, but be home before midnight. And for kids, as good as they may be, they will test their parents to see what they can get away with and many times may even sound a little like the widow nagging their parents to get what they want. 
But is this the type of relationship God wants to build with us? That it's necessary to wear God down? That the better we are at nagging, the better chance we have to have our prayers answered? But every time we liken our relationship with God to that of what we have had or had with our parents, we sell God short. Because God's relationship to us does not change. It is, a, it is constant and it is relentless. And that is why God is like the widow. God's always present. God is in our daily lives badgering us to have faith. How many times in the gospel, like last week, do we hear Christ say, Your faith has healed you. Faith in God's mercy. Faith in God's presence. Faith in God's unconditional love. None of which we can earn. It's all gift. Given to all of us without exception, no matter who we are, what we have done, or who we love. Our challenge is that we find all of that so hard to believe that we spend our lives trying to appease God in some fashion. Now, let's look at the relationship we have with each other. Well, let's be honest. Most of, us, most of us love playing the role of the judge much more than that of the widow. Don't we love spending much of our time deciding who is right and who is wrong based upon our own viewpoint? Who's wearing the right outfit, driving the right car, going to the right church, and even believing in the right God? We learn early on that we can feed our ego by judging others to be inferior to ourselves. At a teen level and taken to the extreme, it's called bullying. Just last month, a Florida 12-year-old girl jumped to her own death after being tormented and bullied and found inferior by her classmates. Ego gone rampant with adults is called narcissism, realized by building ourselves up by how much stuff we can amass and the titles we collect. All actions that really lack any sense of justice. So I found it very interesting to hear some of the earliest words of Pope Francis and how he began to address this type of immature understanding of divine and human relationships. He began with his concern of clericalism among his own clergy brothers, that some are more concerned about titles and vestments than they are with the people they're called to serve. So it was within a few weeks after his election, he suspended any further action in awarding clergy the honorary title of Monsignor, which of course means my Lord. He obviously recognizes the incredible good work done by many priests, but the present time sees no need for such honorific titles. And then with the Pope's daily homilies and impromptu interviews, an onslaught of quips and quotes began to give us insight into how Francis caused us to be in a Christ-like relationship with others. The one that gained the most media attention, of course, was his response to the reporter's question about judging those who are gay, when he said, If a person is gay, and seeks God, and has good will, who am I to judge him? Then weeks later, when asked about atheists attaining salvation, Francis said, The Lord has redeemed all of us, all of us, with the blood of Christ, all of us, not just Catholics, Everyone, even atheists, everyone. And while his comments aggravated some who feel threatened by what he said, he was in no way changing church doctrine. 
He was and is. He's like the widow, like Christ, constantly reminding us on how to be in compassionate relationship with others, even if they're not like us. So in closing, the first and obvious message of this gospel is fairly straightforward. While it's not about us babbling endless words in order to wear God down to get what we want, it is a call to live a life that is God-centered. But we are given a second and deeper meaning, which is much more difficult to see and I would say even harder to live. For we are called to have faith. Faith in the love and grace and blessings lavishly and freely given to us by God. God is always there, even in the cracks and blemishes of our lives. And we can't hide from Him, even behind all the barriers we may try to put up. For like the widow, God is relentless with God's love for all of us, and at the same time, pestering and bothering us to foster justice in our lives. Justice, so that 50 million Americans without health care can afford it, Justice so that the 47 million who are hungry are fed. Justice so that the 3.5 million who are homeless are clothed. Justice that calls for you and I to break down the barriers that cause separation between people. The widow? Know that whenever Luke uses the character of the widow, it signals a certain newness or change. God is calling us, urging us, begging us, to change. For this gospel challenges us to have the faith in an ever-living God who provides us the graces to promote justice in the kingdom of God which is presently at hand upon you, with you, in you, among you, yours, ours, and now. So what does justice look like in your lives? What changes do you need to consider in your relationship with others. And, when the Son of Man comes, will He find you having faith in your life?